everybody, and welcome back to another Book 2 episode. Uh, today, I have author Emily Carpenter joining me. Emily, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So, uh, so, so Emily and I actually met uh, last, it's almost like exactly a year ago, right? I, uh, I to remember. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. So we met uh, at an event called Noir at the Bar uh, here in Birmingham, uh, which just so happens to be where Emily's from. Uh, yeah. Granted, she's she's branched out into Georgia now, but uh, <laughs> but we we were able to meet there and uh, uh, got to. Uh, Get to also meet Robert McCammon, which was pretty awesome. Uh, I know you, you got to hang out with him for a little bit there. <laughs> I literally sat by him, and I was like, the whole time, just like. <laughs> it was like, it was like starstruck, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, it's, and it's so funny because you, you kind of grew up like right down the road from him, and I live 20 minutes from him now, and it's like, Who'd have thunk it, right? No, I know. He seems very like low key, under the radar. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah he, he's he's definitely not not living up to his name. <laughs> no, no, he's not living a wild and crazy life of a celebrity. Yeah, he's very 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 reclusive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think he does his own social media. So, I mean, if that goes to show you uh, anything, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's got a guy that does it. Uh, does it for him so he be bothered you know yeah he does, he doesn't need it he's yeah. he's got he's got a he's got a big enough following he's good yeah. <laughs> so but i will say that um i will always treasure that particular nor at the bar because after i did my reading and i went and sat down he said good job and i was like oh. <laughs> like i mean that's a once in a lifetime compliment right yeah, it's like I can die happy now. I'm good. I, I I'm done with the author thing. We're done. I, I've got my books out. Robert yeah. McCammon said I did great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, that was a cool. That was a cool night. It was. It was a great night, and uh, I'm so glad that John put that on. Um, it's funny. So so John and I actually met uh, randomly. I was uh, I was a I was kind of like in between jobs. So my wife told me I should try substitute teaching because she, she did it uh, right out of college. Right. And I go, okay, that, we'll try it. And uh, I just so happened to get a sub job at Calera Middle School, uh, which is where John is a teacher at. And it just so happened to be his class. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah. So John and I started chatting and it turns out that we had a mutual love of Paul Tremblay. And so, oh. So like we started, you know, talking and he was like, oh yeah, and I've also written some books. And I go, bring them on, you know, and uh, it's, it's a small world. Yes, small and world. I love how those, that to me is the writing community, how you'll start with one person and um, make friends and then you meet other people. And it's this sort of beautiful organic process um, in the writing community. I love it. John Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. John, John's fantastic. So, um, but I want to, I want to know a little bit more about you. So we, we didn't get a whole, whole ton of time to chat that night. We were, we were too busy oogling and ogling, uh, everybody else that was there, especially, especially Mr. McCammon. Um, but, uh, I want to know a little bit about, um, you, you know, growing up in Birmingham, which, you know, is, is where I'm from, um, and kind of how you branched out once you got to Auburn, going up to, to New York city, and then kind of how you got to where you are now. 
Yeah, so um, yeah, I went to Auburn, um, really broke the mold there because my older sister and older brother were already there. So <laughs> I was just the real rebel and um, went off to school with them. Um, but I really, really loved it because like we discussed before, I had grown up um, going to a really small private Christian school. Um, so I felt my like my world was very small and I was ready to branch out and um, really sort of experience the world. And um, I had a great time at Auburn, um, majored in speech communication, which is like radio, television, um, and film, which, you know, in the 80s was not like a, a huge... Uh, sort of major there, but I was really interested in working, maybe being a journalist. I, I didn't know what exactly. Um, so I met the man who became my husband there, and we got married, and his job moved him up to New York City. And that's when I had the wonderful opportunity to work for CBS television, um, first in the um, advertising sales department um, for primetime and late night. Got to see David Letterman and um, sit in the show, and that was really cool. Um, and then I moved to their daytime drama department, which um, handled uh, the taping of um, As the World Turns and Guiding Light which were the two New York-based CBS soap operas. So that was an incredible experience for me. And basically what I did there was, um, so I was, so you know, they taped shows like several weeks ahead of time. <clears throat> and these, these soap operations, they're like well-oiled machinery. It's just amazing to see what goes on behind the scenes and how well they're run. But my job was to read the scripts ahead of time and summarize a week's script, um, send it off to the AP, and then they would publish it in your daily newspaper. You know, back in the day, we had these things called newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> where you would, you know, you could open up your paper every day and see the television schedule for the day. And there would be like maybe a comic or two and there would be like your horoscope or your bridge moves or whatever. And then there'd be like a little paragraph to say what happened in your, what was going to happen in your soap that week in case you missed it, you know, or I think <laughs> it came out on Friday to kind of recap if you had missed the week, you know? And so you know, five or six sentences summarizing and saying like, you know, Reba freaks out when Josh and Mindy don't show up to the ball or whatever. <laughs> I, I use the term freaks out a lot. That was a, you know, that was like a go-to verb. For I feel me. like there's a go-to verb in soap operas. It's always freak outs. <laughs> this is this is true. But I think what it did for me really was it really helped. So I read a ton, which, as we know, uh, as writers is always incredibly helpful. And I think by osmosis, I was really getting a lot of like really good like training in, in um, story structure and dramatic, you know, rising action and like character stuff and like snappy 
dialogue I remember Guiding Light especially was really famous for some like very good um, romantic banter kind of dialogue and um, so yeah it was a it was a really great experience and worked there for a few years and we ended up coming back to Atlanta where my husband's from because we were really wanting to start a family and like have a house with a yard <laughs> where our kids can run around and play. Um, so that's kind of how I got that bug for writing, even though like as a kid, I'd always read voraciously and, you know, felt like I wanted to write. I just didn't know how one went about doing that. And like back before the internet, it wasn't like you just, like, I just assumed, oh, well, you have to be up in New York and know people up there. And, you know, even when I went to New York, I was like, I don't, I don't know anyone in the publishing industry. I, I wouldn't know how to do this. So, yeah, that was a later um, a kind of once the Internet came out and they and and it was like the process was demystified for all of us. Like, you know, <laughs> here's how you find the agents. Here's how you write the query letter. And yeah, so. Here's how you write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a million craft books. And here's, you know, a writer's conference. I just find it really um, <clears throat> heartening and fun how open and accessible the writing industry, the publishing industry is. I mean, not that it's not difficult to break into it, but, you know, they are looking for wonderful new books every yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you have had publishers that send out, um, I mean, I, don't, I guess they send them out in emails too, but I'll, I'll see every now and then on social media, how they're like reaching out for people to, to submit their books or submit yeah. short stories and stuff. Yeah. So then they're always looking for new stuff. It's not yeah. like they're just going to turn everybody away. I mean, you know, if, if granted, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that just sits on desks for a while that, that they yeah. haven't had a chance to look at, but yeah, it's, you're right. I mean, there, there's, you feel like there's an, a lot, it almost feels like the process, like, you know, like you were saying it, it demystified, but it feels like, Oh, it's been there all along. And now I know exactly, you know, it, why did it take so long <laughs> to, to, to finally open, you know, open the door for me. Now, yeah. when you were, when you were talking about, <laughs> you're talking about uh, the, uh, the newspaper, you know, what's that? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming it was also kind of like the TV guide, you know, cause you, you didn't always have the descriptions, but, you know, now you do, if you, you know, have like, I guess satellite TV or whatever, you can hit info and you kind of see like the little blurb about it. So is that, I guess, is that kind of similar to what you did? Yeah. I mean, it really honestly was a, like a six, six sentence paragraph of what had happened, what were the most important things that happened that week. Um, and I mean, as anybody knows, that's, that's called plot. And I didn't realize that at the time, but that was really teaching me how to hone in on um, what plot points were the most important and were moving the story forward. Because as everybody knows in soap operas, they go back and they repeat themselves and they talk about the same things over and over again. So it was really important to me to find out what plot points were moving the story forward. And mm -hmm. I think looking back on it, I can't believe what great training it was for me. Um, 
Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> I was uh, just curious. Um, how how long did you how long did you do? I guess the soap opera uh, deal. Were you were you up in New York for a while, or was that something you just you we were, were kind of doing there. while you were looking for something else? Yeah, we were up there for three years, and I think I was doing the soap opera thing for two years, which you know was not that long. And you know, at that point, I, I was ready to get out of the city, um, and but I wish I'd stayed a little longer to learn a little more, but yeah, it was about two years. I gotcha. So do you, do you think it helped you, uh, write, I guess like your book description or your book synopsis? I know a lot of authors that's like their least favorite thing to do is write yeah. exactly what their book is about <laughs> without spoiling anything. I will say too, um, one of the other things that I did was read. So a lot of people would pitch treatments, um, a lot of writers would send their treatments to their to my boss's office about how they would write, like how they would structure the story for, say, Guiding Light if they were hired. It was just part of the hiring process. So I read a lot of treatments and I also learned like this is how you write a synopsis or a treatment. It's, you know, in present tense and um, just some technical details about how to do it. Um, mm. So again, like when it, I don't mind, I don't love writing a synopsis, but I don't mind it that much. Um, yeah. Cause I, I you know, you kind of know it's not, it's going to be a little boring. Yeah. Cause it's, so <laughs> it's just like this plot point, this plot point, this plot point. And mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a necessary evil, but yeah, I had to read a lot of those as well. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I need, I want to know, I want to go back to your childhood. Um, oh. I want to know about your, uh, your plagiarism as a youngster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was when I, I think I was like five years old and I wanted to write a book. And so I, um, plagiarized the pokey little puppy, which is a classic. I can't remember exactly what happened. And I will say I didn't finish the book, but I had like illustrations and I was printing out the copying the page and my mom put it together, like stapled it together for me. Yeah. I'm really proud. And I hope they don't haul me into jail for it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they will over, uh, some stapled pages together, think it'd be okay. Yeah, I, I was going to make a book, so I just thought I'll just copy the pokey little puppy. Yeah, I, you know, you could always make it like the pokey little ducky or something, and you'd be completely fine. I was just brazen, I didn't even care. I was like, it's you know, whatever you guys, it's the puppy. You were determined. There you go. Um. So you said you read a lot uh, growing up and so who, um, I guess, who did you read a lot of? And then maybe who was uh, maybe a big influence on your writing uh, today or maybe the, the writing you did before you got into Southern Gothic? Yeah. Um, you know, what's really weird is 
so my mom would take me to the Birmingham Public Library downtown all through the summer and I would ha come out with these you know stacks of books and read them all in the first three days and she was like we're not going back for another two weeks and you've already blown through all these books but and I will say back then I was not <clears throat> paying attention to the authors right I just read the book I was just grabbing books off the shelf that looked good and um, so I've had to go back and kind of go, oh, that was that author. And that was that, you know, I just didn't, I didn't really follow authors. I'm more just short, sort of followed the books, but, um, you know, growing up when I was young, I was reading, I read, you know, all of Nancy Drew and the Bobsy twins and Trixie building, all those like series of books. Um, and then I kind of, there was, um, and still I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the author. I think it's Marjorie something, but there was this whole, um, sort of spate of these teenage kind of young adult books written. I think they were written in the fifties and they're very innocent and they're kind of romances. And there's a lot of those, um, that I read and, um, I didn't so much, I read in elementary school, I read The Hobbit because the, the, like, the smartest boy in my fifth grade class was reading The Hobbit and I felt very competitive about that for some reason. <laughs> I'm a slightly competitive person, so I was like, well, I'm gonna read The Hobbit then. And um, um, I adore Tolkien now, but I, I was like, there's no girls in this. And I cannot, I, it just, like, I got very, very scared by Gollum and, and thought that that was fantastic and scary, but there were no girls and there were like a lot of dwarves singing. Oh gosh. <laughs> I was like, no more dwarves singing around the campfire. But um, yes, and that, I clearly did not appreciate the genius. <laughs> at the time um i just i just love how you did it at a com competition not just yeah. because you wanted to read it <laughs> right exactly um um huge c.s lewis fan um chronicles of narnia uh loved loved that um i got into one or more of Lois Duncan, you know, Lois Duncan is like this YA horror. Um, I know what you did last summer. She wrote that book. Um, and the one that the book that just haunted me was um, Down a Dark Hall. Oh, my mm. God. That just like grabbed me. It's, it, you know, it's like this gothic. It's very gothic and it's very like a boarding school. And they have all these students that are being um, against their will, possessed with the spirits of these great artists and being forced to create more art. And I just was like, that is wonderful. <laughs> so, you know, I, I could feel myself. And then, you know, um, I think the first kind of real Southern Gothic thing I read was, well, I saw a production of Member of the Wedding, Carson McCullers, 
um, in, as a play. And then I got a hold of the play and the book and um, felt a real sort of rush of kinship of that sort of Southern um, coming of age and that feeling of being bored you know, in the South and not having anything to do and not having cable TV and <laughs> kind of lost and wanting to belong, you know. So that was kind of my introduction to Southern Gothic was Carson McCullers. I gotcha. Um, so so when would you when would you say that you started writing seriously? I mean, I, clearly you wrote when you were a youngster and I'm sure you were <laughs> yeah. a little bit here and there growing up. But when uh, when did you when were you like? okay, I think I'm ready to sit down and, and write my first novel. Well, um, I, after I worked at CBS, I, I did sort of have a moment where I thought I would try to be a screen writer. And that's when I, I got very serious about that and wrote several screenplays, but that did not turn out to be a fruitful avenue for me. It's really hard business to get into, as most writers know. Um, so, I mean, I didn't start writing. I mean, really, honestly, I um, hit my 40th birthday and I was like, oh, this is not, this is going in one direction, this age thing, and I'm not gonna get any younger. And I'm just sitting here waiting for somebody to give me permission to write a book, and that's ridiculous. And so really, after that birthday, it was a real milestone for me. I really hunkered down, I started writing, and I wrote a book that I could not get an agent with, and so I put that one away. I wrote a second book that I knew before I got to the end was also not the right book. And so then I wrote a third book and got an agent with that one. Now your, your first manuscript was a rom-com. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like kind of a, kind of a romance kind of, you know, back, they called it back then, um, chiclet. And nobody wants to say that anymore, but that's what they were calling it back then. Yeah. So. Well, I have to say, anytime I hear chiclet, I just think of like the little gum. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm not offended by it. It's a, it's a marvelous way to identify it, but um, yeah, that's what it was. Do they still use that term? No. I didn't think so. No. I, I didn't think I'd heard that in a while. <laughs> I, I feel like everything is now just YA or something else. So. <laughs> There's YA and the rest of us. <laughs> exactly. There, there's YA and then every other genre, which there's like 20 of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I, I feel like, uh, you know, if you can't categorize your novel, oh, it's probably YA. It's got to have a young character in it. It's YA. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, how has your, how has your writing process changed since that first manuscript? Do you have, you know, like a set word count per day? Do you have a set page count? Do you have to have like a certain routine every morning to, to be able to sit down and write? Or is it just, is it different every day? Well, I will say with the first book, I was extremely dis disciplined. And, you know, even for a while, I was getting up at five in the morning because I still had all three of my kids at home. Um, 
and getting them off to school was an issue. Um, but I, and but I definitely so I just put out my fifth book and I feel like I have learned to give myself a little leeway and to kind of let the process happen um, the way it wants to happen. But I will say like writing that first draft, I do like to write every day and I do like to hit a word count of um, 2000 words a day. Just on that initial, you know, the, the, the process that Stephen King calls paddling across the Atlantic in a bathtub. Mm. Yeah. And, and that, you know, if you stop, you're suddenly going to be overwhelmed with the magnitude of what you're trying to do and, and, you know, possibly get discouraged. So I do mm. find that momentum of just going every day and trying to hold on to that initial excitement of your idea is really helpful to me. And then after that, I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. I mean, I don't really have a ritual or I just, you know, need coffee in the morning and occasionally some wine at night. <laughs> and I'm good. And nothing, nothing at all wrong with that. <laughs> Yeah. And I think too, you know, what's weird, I have found that when I go on vacation, um, especially, so we go every summer and rent a house at a lake in Alabama. And um, I find that when I get there, I can write so many words. And I think it's just a function of being away from everyday responsibilities. And um, so I realized that's really important in my writing process is to give myself those times of rest and either not write or just allow myself to write a ton and just do whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I feel like that's, kind of where I'm at, uh, as far as it, right now, as, as, as far as reading, but as far as writing too, is just that I can't, I can't turn my work brain off and I can't turn, turn my dad brain off to actually like yeah. sit down and do something. Yeah. Um, and I know you, you mentioned something the other day and I, and I commented on it on Facebook. You, you were talking about doing some kind of writer's retreat. Um, have you, have you done writer's retreats before? I mean, I, I feel like, uh, I know a couple of authors that do. I know Michael J. Sullivan does one uh, that's pretty big that I think he has everybody like over to his house and they do like a big writer's retreat there. But so A, is that something you've done before? And B, is that something that you really do intend to do in the future? Yeah, I, um, I absolutely do intend to do it. It is one of my dreams to provide a, um, an environment for writers to be able to get away, even if it's just for a few days, um, to just get away and clear their minds um, from the responsibilities and the, just the kind of the burdens that aren't a burden, but they do, they hamper. Feel like burdens? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, it always makes me laugh, these old writer quotes, when they say, you know, it is imperative that you have uninterrupted, you know, and, and I'm like, are you out of your mind? There's just no such thing as that. 
Like we have families, we have jobs, we have, you know, it's a different world, right? Mm -hmm. We yeah. can't lock ourselves away. So yes, that is a dream of mine. And <clears throat> I've been on a few writer retreats. None of them have been exactly what I'm envisioning, providing. And um, so, I mean, I don't have all the details yet, but I'm working. On I gotcha. Yeah, and, and you've got a you've got a nice little writer shed, don't you? I think I've seen some pictures of it. I'm I'm very jealous. I've been very blessed. I uh, um, my husband and I built a new house a couple of years ago, and that was um, part of the plan to just build this tiny little shed. It has a little bathroom and a tiny little kitchen, and has a little place to take a nap because we all know we need those naps. Um, yeah, so. That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I I've seen I've seen a few people with them. I know um, uh, there's like there's a couple of other authors I've seen that have them, but it, it's always it always makes me a little jealous. It's like, oh my gosh, it'd be so awesome to have. I mean, I've got an office, like I can't complain, but yeah, yeah. You know, just just to be able to separate yourself from the house, you know, <laughs> and yeah. just have a super quiet place. Yeah, I told my wife I was like, when uh whenever we get to the age where you know our daughter or Shall I say kids? Because I just know we're going to at least have one more. Yeah. Um, you know, when they're finally out of the house, I'm going to decide, okay, we're going to go to our, our dream house. You know, we're going to get our, our land, whatever. I'm like, I'm totally going to have a writer set on this. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing I tried to get at our other house was I tried to talk my husband into getting me an Airstream trailer to put in the backyard. <laughs> He was like, and you went top of the line too, didn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you look cool too. You know? <laughs> but yeah, that got mixed right away. He was like, I think that's against the neighborhood association. The covenants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. I, I definitely know I couldn't do it in my neighborhood. I mean, yeah. granted, I'm, I'm the, I'm the HOA president, so I don't know if I'd allow myself to do it. Oh yeah. I'm fa fancy. Yeah. You're, uh, well, you're the president, which as we know means you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, it does. I mean, now we'll say it. this is a funny story. So, um, so I moved into this neighborhood. We were like the fourth family to move in um, and they finally finished building an outlet uh, earlier this year. And um, we didn't have a board or anything. So my wife decided she wanted to paint our front door. So we painted it. I was like, no questions asked. Well, we go to the first board meeting where I get elected president. I had to approve the fact that I painted my door. <laughs> we're, at, we're at that point. <laughs> that is silly. But yeah, I appreciate you know. God love you for being the president. And then my husband did that once too, and he was like, never again. I know. I mean, luckily we're only in a neighborhood of like 36 homes, so it's it's not too bad. I mean, I, I haven't had anybody frustrated at me yet. Um, now I just know, though, if, if dues go up, it's going to come straight back to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> <I'll be> back. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, but the, I will say that the whole, like, you know, uh, my wife's married to the president thing. That joke was pretty funny for about a week or two, and then it got kind of old. <laughs> so that so things do wear off. I mean, yeah. the new car smell wears off. For yeah, sure. whatever. I'm I'm impressed that you do that. That's a service <laughs> to your community. We'll see. We'll see if I get reelected next year. <laughs> <laughs> they they will really know if I did anything good. 
Uh, oh goodness. Uh, so okay, back to uh, back to writing. Um, so okay, so you started off rom com. Couldn't find an agent for it. That was your second book. Was it also a rom com, or did you did you? Yeah, it was too. And then I started to think maybe I'm not meant to write these. Um, and you know, right around that time was when I discovered Gillian Flynn. Um, and it was right before Gone Girl came out. So she had her other two books and I read them, um, like in a matter of days. And I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. What she's doing, writing stories about women and <clears throat> relationships, but then also, you know, suspense and really some stuff bordering on horror, um, <clears throat> but just some really dark stuff. Um, it just sort of hit that sweet spot for me. And I was like, I really, really like what she's doing. And I had followed her as a film critic. I think it was Movie Line magazine back in the 90s or early 2000s. She was the film critic there. And um, that was a magazine I read if I have that right, that was one of the magazines I read religiously because I'm a huge film buff um, as well. And so I was like, oh, I just really, really like what she's doing. And um, and then Gone Girl came out. And of course, I was just completely blown away. And, you know, I thought, I don't know if I can write anything this beautifully written or as dark, but it's certainly in, in, in the general vicinity of what I want to try. So I thought I'm, so I want to write a mystery. I have no idea how to do this. Never done it before, but that's never stopped me. So I like one night I'm, I'm taking a bath and my husband's in bed getting ready for bed and I'm in the bathtub and I'm thinking like, okay, what's a great story? What's a great hook? And I thought about, you know, the birthdays that we all um, celebrate and as women, especially some of these birthdays can be very momentous or daunting for no reason. Like, you know, when you turn 30 and you have this existential crisis about why haven't I accomplished all the things and then you turn 40 and you're like, whoops, you know, and, you know, every sort of milestone birthday, we kind of freak out. And uh, so I had the, you about the same milestones where guys were like, that's just another day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. We put this pressure on ourselves, like, on those birthdays, like you are supposed to accomplish something by that birthday. But I thought, you know, it, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a, a young woman who's about to turn 30 and she had a real reason to be afraid of turning 30 um, instead of just like getting wrinkles or whatever. And um, so I came up with the idea that, you know, she has just discovered that her mother, grandmother and great grandmother all either died or disappeared or something mysterious happened to them on their 30th birthday. So she feels this family curse um, is looming over her head and she has two weeks to, till her birthday to try to 
unravel the mystery of what happened to these women and her family. So I was very excited about that idea. I thought it was really good hook and, and like really kind of could be spooky and Southern Gothic and all the things that I felt like I could write. So I jumped out of the bathtub and wrapped myself in the, in the towel and I run into the bedroom and I pitched the idea to my husband and he's like, Oh, that is really good. You should write that story. Um, and he said, so what happened to those women? And I was like, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I'll come up with that later. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the how I wrote my first book that ended up getting me an agent and getting published. Okay. Yeah, because uh, that, that's kind of is a great start or lead up into my next question. So uh, I know reviving the Hawthorne sisters, which is your, your, your newest novel uh, as a follow up to your Southern Gothic debut, burying the honeysuckle girls. Can you tell us um, maybe a little bit more about, about uh, the latter before we get into the former? Um, so, so honeysuckle girls first. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, so that's the story is my main character, Althea, is about to turn 30. And she's like, you know, her family is, she's had troubles with um, drugs and alcohol. She's been in and out of rehab and rather unstable. Um, but she's, she's a fighter. And um, her brother, who's running for attorney general of the state of Alabama, um, is somewhat desperate to get her under control and to make sure she doesn't do anything to ruin his political chances. And so um, she sort of takes this journey through Alabama um, investigating the life, what happened to her mother and her grandmother and um, ultimately great-grandmother and I it's a dual timelines and I'm telling the story of the great-grandmother who is um, a woman named Jen in the mountains of North Alabama in the 1930s and what happened to her and how it kind of was the catalyst that started like all this ultimately all this tragedy in the family um, so yeah that's the first book and then uh, a little bit about reviving. So, so what, for, first, before we get into it, what what made you decide to write a follow up novel to that? Was was there was there like little threads that you just couldn't quite end in the first book, or did you know that you wanted to write kind of a follow up to it? Well, I'd always wanted to do that, and I always have this sort of um, a, a, like a bucket list thing for me is to write a series. I would love to do that. It just, the idea is really appealing to me. So I always did have an idea that I would follow one of the characters in Honeysuckle Girls, um, a character named Dove Jared, who figures into both the 1930s timeline and the present day timeline. Um, she's the wife of a faith healer and she's a very interesting woman, perhaps a, a little bit of a liar and a con woman. And, um, but she sort of causes a lot of the action. I always thought she would be an incredible character to follow up on, but <clears throat> I never had any plans. And then fast forward after my fourth book, um, which was a very kind of straightforward adventure thriller. 
I thought, you know, it'd be really fun to get back to the sort of Alabama Southern Gothic roots. So I spoke with my editor um, at my publisher and just said, how would you feel if I did this kind of follow-up book? It's not technically a sequel. So you can, the books can be read on their own, but um, how would you feel, you know, if I wrote this story about Dove, Jared, and how she came to be who she was and her family? So that is Reviving the Hawthorne Sisters is about Dove's life, how she escaped a psychiatric facility where she was born in the 30s and she was, you know, 13 years old, a kid on the streets in the depression, making ends meet and possibly getting into some cons and grifts and uh, <laughs> some illegal activity. And uh, she winds up being um, part of a duo called the Hawthorne Sisters, who are um, sort of on the entertainment, faith healing, um, tent evangelist circuit in the 30s in Alabama. Nothing wrong with escaping a psychiatric ward in Alabama, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we don't have several of those or anything. You know, we, we definitely don't have one that's on a campus of a major university here. Well, so, that's, uh, the one, that's the one I modeled my hockey <laughs> So, And I may have snuck into that one, but that's... That's neither here nor there, right? <laughs> it's very crazy. See I, see, I went to Alabama my, my first uh, semester was so when I was a freshman and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'd always pass it going to my dorm uh, yeah. and this was like, you know, you always you kind of have that uh, that Halloween vibe that every time you're going to drive by, it, you're going to see just a bunch of people in, in white jumpsuits, like just standing oh, yeah. out. Yeah, Ugh. you just expect <sighs> to see a ghost there. Yeah, there. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so in between these two novels, um, you know, you wrote some, some thriller type novels. Um, so, so I, was that kind of based on your, your, you know, your love for, for Gillian Flynn, or was that just something that after you wrote, um, you know, Bearing the Honeysuckle Girls, you're like, maybe I want to go like deep dive straight into just like thriller instead of more of the, the Southern Gothic, or is it just, this was the book that was, you know, in the back of your mind and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't very calculated about my brand or, you know, what book was probably the smartest book. I just had ideas and was like, this is what I want to write. And um, so I, I didn't, I got, I went about it in a very instinctive way. Um, and I have realized as you know, I've gotten further into this business that um, you do have to be authors have to be thoughtful or well, they don't have to be thoughtful about what book is next, but I think it can be um, they can end up shooting themselves in the foot if they don't pay attention to sort of, I don't know, what people expect from them and there's a balance there but yeah i just kind of went with my gut and wrote the thing i wanted to write um and so it has kind of resulted in that i have some things that are just super southern gothic kind of dripping with that like southern feeling and then i have some other books that are just a little more straight up thrillers um 
So, yeah. I mean, you, you give something for everybody. I mean, yeah. you know, at, at least you're not, you know, you're not like the, the classic rock bands that have, you know, five or six albums and then just all of a sudden, you know, I think we're going to do a pop album. And, you know, it's just like, no, <laughs> what? You know, and they just totally turn off half your fan base. <laughs> I mean, on the other hand, you can see how artists get tired of doing the same thing over and over again. And so, yeah, they, it is taking a chance to try to branch out and fulfill that uh, creative need in them. And I just think you probably have to do it carefully. And to me, that's where the um, guidance of my agent has been really invaluable because she's always kind of the, um, the clear-eyed voice of wisdom who can say, well, let's talk about, like, let's step outside your excitement of the story and talk about how this book is going to be perceived on the market, which is mm. <laughs> never my first thought. Yeah, it, it's not something you generally have to worry about. That, that, that's why you have agent. <laughs> it's like it's like, hey, I want to write this thing. Don't write that. Okay, what about this? That'll work. Just yeah, yeah. show that other idea. Want though, is somebody looking out for your best interest and who has kind of a, a understanding of of the marketplace. Yeah, you, you know, you don't want to get blindsided putting something out there, and then it just totally doesn't get perceived in the way you intended it. Um, I, I've always, I've always wondered, um, and, and with with a ton of authors you know, that want to kind of branch out, have you ever thought about writing maybe like a like a like a novella or something that's maybe in a different genre that you're like, all right, let's just see how this goes, and then maybe like, okay, if if that gets perceived well, maybe I can look at doing that novel that I thought about, you know. X amount of years ago. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've um, still had some interest in writing romance, um, which I'm doing a little on the side. I'm not sure where it's going to end up. I also started a novel that um, I'm dying to write, like straight up horror. Um, <sighs> <laughs> Bring it on. (laughs) Love it. And you know what I love? Like in the past year, horror has just gotten such a boost. Speaking of Paul Tremblay, I just, I had read recently, um, is it Cabin at the End of the World? Mm -hmm. That scared the ever living. And I don't get scared by anything. Like nothing scares me. And that book, I tell you, that guy, man. <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's good. Um I I would recommend if um if you if you want a really good book, and I recommend this to everybody that, that needs a good horror book, but uh, The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. I'm listening to it right now. Oh, Oh my gosh, that that is probably the only book that has legit scared me, and uh, since since I've really got into horror, yeah. Elk man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I've I've had him on twice this year to chat with him. I was trying to get him on for the con in January, uh, but unfortunately he can't he can't make it. But but yeah, uh, I I love his books. They're so great. But that one straight up was like, all right, I can't turn the lights on. <laughs> and it is just a slow burn and I, I remember well this will be a spoiler at some point you know one of the characters says 
well, this death of this other person is not related to the, and I'm like, it's related. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's, it's like being at the movies and screaming at the person to run or close the door. Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah. And so my husband is a hunter from way back and a very responsible. He's a conservationist, too. He's um, a responsible hunter. I'd like to make that caveat. But um, <laughs> I told him about this book and he was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> he thought it was I mean, it's just that's such a great hook. So. Right. Exactly. Oh. God, now you be wanting to read your horror book. So, yeah, I, I want to be first in line for that, by the way. So, oh, good. good. <laughs> you know it works. It is, you know, it's, it's the industry makes you want to write the same thing over and over again. I will right. say that. And, you know, that's, that's okay. That's the way, that's the business side of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd like to branch out. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. There's one that's getting a lot of early publicity. Uh, it comes out next year. It's called "The Last House on Needless Street" by uh, Catriona Ward. I think that's how you say her name. Um, but like, like Joe Hill's like throwing all kinds of stuff about it. And I mean, there's I mean, there's like a ton of friggin' like big names in horror that are like, you got to get this book kind of thing. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. So I I feel like I feel like horror is not going anywhere. So I, I feel like you're getting in at a good time. I if, do. Uh, I think it's growing. I really do. And I think you know, Mexican Gothic was a huge help to. Um, almost sort of mainstream it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, tour Nightfire, uh, which is their like horror lineup. Now they're, uh, they're, they're part. Um, I think they've got another one from, uh, from Sylvia coming out next year. I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but, uh, but yes, I mean, if, you know, if, if you get it out there and you're like, looking for somewhere to shop at that might be a good place to start. Uh, yeah. I know, I know, you know, they're, I, th I think they've got a few things that they're, they're publishing out next year, but I think they really just kind of started this year doing a couple of like short audio collections. Oh, okay. um, so I don't, I don't know if you've got, if you've got Google play, but they have, uh, I think it's like two, they're like 20 or 30 hours, but it's like 35 short stories from like cool. Tremblay and Chuck Wendig and Brian Evanson. I mean, there's several authors in there. So I would look at those too. Cause that, that could be like, okay, maybe this is where I need to be looking or something, but uh, I recommend those. Those are, those are phenomenal. And you can, I think you can get them in single volumes too, or you can get the whole, the whole series in one and it's all free. So, which, which is also oh, that's pretty amazing. nice. Yeah, okay. Free, free fiction is great. <laughs> I love free fiction. I'll check it out. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's called like by the, by the fire, or by the bonfire or something like that. But yeah, it's tour, tour night fire on Google play. Um, love it. but okay. yeah, uh, that, that is interesting. Yeah, I'm always I'm always interested to see if if others are going to branch out. You know, generally who I have on on here is generally like fantasy authors, so they kind of stay with their niche, or they'll yeah. they maybe venture into science fiction or something, and yeah. or you know you just have your you have your thriller types that just stick mm -hmm. with thrillers. So that's kind of neat that you know you've got your southern gothic, you got your thriller. I'm like, I think I'm gonna do horror now. If you said you're gonna try fantasy, I've been like, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, no, I I could not write fantasy. Um... 
uh, I know, like, so my husband, my husband and my son are both humongous Wheel of Time fans, um, and have read the Robert Jordan series like a million times, and I have read enough of those books and heard them talk about them that I know I can't write for the same. I'm not, I accept. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's harken back to my reaction to The Hobbit. <laughs> that is, I, I just admire those writers very much, but I do like a little magical realism, I will say, but that's different than fantasy. I'm just looking for 2022, you, Emily Carpenter's fantasy debut. I just know it's going to happen. You're, you're going to get a wild itch one day and you're like, here yeah. it comes. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about getting older, right? You learn about what you definitely cannot do. Or what you definitely do not like. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Uh, well, last question I got for you. Um, and, I, you know, if you've got some in your mind, great. If you don't, that's fine too. I, I usually stump people with this one, but um, is there anything that you've read outside of like a cabin at the end of the world um, or only good Indian since we've talked about, is there anything you've read this year or uh, are there any authors you think of that maybe need some more readership or that you would just recommend? Um, I don't know that this guy. So um, I have recently discovered uh make sure I get his name right. Um, Laird Barron. Does yeah. That, yeah. You know him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He actually follows me on Twitter. <laughs> I know. So, um, sometimes you just get lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. So I, in quick su succession, read... Um, okay, it's not Laird Barron. Would that, would that be his, I was about to say, would that be his crime fiction? I know he just released like a trilogy. It's not Laird Barron. It's Laird Hunt. I still think I know who you're talking about. If you okay. say a title of a book, I'll know. Okay, so the first one I read was... Um, in the house at the dark of the woods. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Which is like literally, I, I it it was mesmerizing to me, even though I didn't understand like a third of that book. Like I was like, what is happening? That I can't, I I can't put this down. It was like the weirdest, scariest fairy tale. Mm -hmm. that was just. Ugh. And then I read Never Home after that, the one about the um, Civil War, the woman who dresses up as a soldier in the Civil War. And mm -hmm. I mean, that was probably my favorite, like just haunting and beautifully written. And I, it's one of those books I can't quit thinking about. And um, he's about to come out with Zori, um, which I have pre-ordered. Um, and a couple of friends of mine 
and I were going to do a virtual book club of it because we're obsessed with his books. I just feel like that guy just goes and sits in his writing room and just writes exactly what he wants to write. Um, And it's just mesmerizing and strange and occupies this. So I, I don't think like in terms of commercial, he's just not really all that commercial. So I just feel like maybe, you know, I mean, it's not going to be a Reese book of the month club pick. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not about that life. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't have to read everything on Oprah's list for the year. It's fine. Right. <laughs> right. But it's just, I, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's just you read it and you are absolutely transported to to this world he's created. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to that. And um trying to think, you know, in lockdown, and this is kind of the polar opposite. In lockdown, I have been reading a lot of romance um, just because it's just lighthearted and fun. You're trying to get that romance, itch, I know. <laughs> and trying to learn about like so I've read um, a lot of Regency romance by Tessa Dare and Sarah McLean who are both really big names in romance and um, yeah so yeah I know, I know how you feel. I mean, my, my, my wife was like, as soon as, as soon as lockdown hit and she was at home that she was loading up her Kindle with romance novels. So she, she'd be on one end of the couch reading romance and I'd be on the other end, either reading horror or fantasy or something. So yeah, yeah uh, it's, it, it, it's comforting and it's easy read, especially, uh, especially if we go down to the lake, she can sit by the pool and just devour yeah. one. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I find interestingly two sides of the same coin, romance and horror. <laughs> but they can both really distract you. Romantic horror. <laughs> there you go. Go ahead and drop that down. <laughs> I will, and I will thank you for that in my acknowledgments of my romantic horror. <laughs> See, there's always an answer for everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> New genre for Reader, oh gosh, that that'd be really interesting. I, I I'd be curious how that would go. I guess it would be kind of like a, you know, it'd be I I wouldn't say a Fifty Shades feel, but then it would just be like graphic murder. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, if you recall, in all the you know Friday the Thirteenth movies, what happens to the kids who get up to, you know, those sexual get up to no good. They get killed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, I guess some of those were, they were not quite getting up to no good, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a way to make it work. There it is. We'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I'll help pitch ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Emily, uh, it has been a pleasure having you on today. Um, and everybody that's listening in, uh, Reviving the Hawthorne Sisters has just come out. So definitely make sure to go grab yourself a copy. Uh, and if you haven't read Bearing Honeysuckle Girls, it has been out and it's a nice little one-two punch. Uh, if you want to you get you a couple of books to 
read in the continuing lockdown. <laughs> and she's also got what's, like what's that? You're looking for holiday gifts. Um, contact your local indie bookstore and uh, get them to order it or take it off the shelf. There you go. Well, Emily, uh, I guess we'll be seeing each other pretty shortly uh, at the end of January. Still don't have a name for it, but we're doing another convention at the end I'm of January. So excited. so excited. I have like 70 people. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do it. Um, but as of right now, you are potentially on a panel with CJ Tudor. I don't know if you've ever read anything by CJ Tudor. Uh, John Mars. Uh, is potentially coming on. Um, I'm going to have Andy Davidson, who you met at the Noir event. Yeah. Um, potentially Josh Mallerman. Still still waiting to hear back if he wants to pop on. Uh, the author of Bird Box, for the for y'all yeah. that don't know. Um, and a couple more. So I think we're actually going to, like, jam-pack y'all's panel. So it's going to be uh, it's gonna be pretty sweet. So um, Hey, and, you know, we'll, we'll call it the horror thriller panel. So you can talk about horror and you can, you know. We'll continue this romantic horror idea. Yes, I love it. I love it. Maybe I can gain some pointers. Those are some pretty heavy hitters. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Emily, just thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with me, and uh, we'll see each other soon. Thank you, David. I'm Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. See you soon.